0: Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them with me to Isaiah chapter 9. We'll also be looking at Matthew 28 and Acts chapter 1 today. A little bit different uh, message than normal. I'm not just going through one passage, but we're going to be looking at a couple of different passages as we begin our Christmas series. So let me start out by asking you this question. What is your favorite Christmas song? What's your favorite Christmas song? Go ahead, shout it out. What's your favorite Christmas song? Silent Night, do I get a joy to the world over here? I have a joy to the world. Do I hear a Silent Night? I have a Silent Night. Do I hear an (laughs) Oh, Come All you Faithful? Do I? I got to go Come All Ye Faithful. What what, what other songs do you all have? Oh, Holy Night, Mary. Did did you know that Mary, Did You Know has been in all three services? I guess it's becoming an official Christmas song. It's a fairly new song, isn't it? You're supposed to know these things. yeah. (laughs) yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So any other Christmas songs? Oh come, oh come, drummer boy, boy. that's my wife's least favorite Christmas song. Yeah, but I like it. I think bum bum bum. bum. I I I like it. Is it? Oh yeah, he's a drummer. That's I forgot it. Yeah, okay. Ah, I'm a little slow sometimes. (laughs) Well, music is a part of what makes Christmas special. We use music to get in the Christmas spirit. Whenever I say. I am dreaming of a... You're suddenly in the Christmas spirit, right? You're ready to go watch Bing Crosby and Cosby, right? No, Crosby, Crosby. I'm sorry, i got to get with it. (laughs) You know, and and a lot of the Christian Christmas songs, they teach us the story of Christmas. Uh, Songs like Away in the Manger, O Holy Night, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, Silent Night. Whenever you learn those lyrics... You're literally learning the story of Christmas and at times uh, learning the story of the gospel. I think it's important for those of us who are Christians to enjoy the family of Christmas, to enjoy the fun of Christmas. You know, give the gifts, receive the gifts, eat the meals, have fun. Yet at the same time, those of us who are Christians need to remember this, that Christmas is a distinctly Christian holy day. It is a day on which you and I and millions of other Christians around the world celebrate and remember the birth of Jesus Christ. And so let's don't forget, in all the activity of Christmas, let's don't forget the meaning of Christmas. It's neat that people who may not even be believers want to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, but let's also remember that Christmas is ultimately about worshiping Jesus Christ. So I'm beginning a new series today. I'm calling it The Christmas Remix. And here's what we're going to do. Each sermon title is going to be just a little twist on a famous Christmas song. And what I'm going to do is just change the title a little bit. And I think you're going to be able to uh, enjoy some beautiful, if not overlooked, truths of Scripture. And so today's remix is that we're going to take the song Away in the Manger, and we're going to remix the title into Away from the Manger. Have you ever thought about how much movement is involved in the Christmas story? You have Jesus crossing the cosmos to the crib. You have Mary and Joseph moving from Nazareth to Bethlehem, and then they go from Bethlehem To Egypt, and then they go from Egypt back to Nazareth. You have the shepherds out in the field drinking coffee, surfing their phones, and suddenly the angels appear. Next thing you know, they're moving, they're headed to the birth child. You have the wise men, they hear about the birth of Christ, they load up their backpacks, they follow the starlit trail until they finally find the child. Have you ever been a part of a movement? Now, when I say movement, I'm not talking about going to Grandma's house for Thanksgiving. When I say movement, I'm talking about have you ever been a part of something that is just bigger than yourself? A moment in time that grew into something that you could have never imagined. In 1773, the British East East India Tea Company was sinking. They had 17 million pounds of surplus tea. And they had an unbearable debt load. So the English Parliament decided to help them out. They passed the Tea Act. And what the Tea Act did was it gave the East India Tea Company the monopoly on tea sales in the American colonies. Now, tea was also a taxed item. And so the colonists became infuriated with this. It was going to undercut the American merchants, and they saw it as a new tax. And so they were outraged. Now, the colonists loved tea. In fact, we're told by historians that in colonial America, they would drink two to three cups of tea a day. It was actually the tea tax that contributed to the coffee drinking in the United States. And coffee became more popular because of the tea taxes. But on a cold winter night, December 16th, 1773, Samuel Adams and the Sons of Liberty. They disguised themselves as Mohawk Indians and they boarded three ships loaded with tea in Boston Harbor. Their purpose was to protest the Tea Act. And that night they threw 342 chests of tea overboard. We're told that that's enough that they contained enough tea to make 19 million cups of tea. Well, at the time, it was just a moment. It was a protest. Eventually, that would be called the Boston Tea Party, and it would become a key domino in the events that led to the American Revolution and eventually the establishment of the United States of America. My point is that there was a moment, the Tea Party, and that moment led to a movement. A movement almost always begins with a moment, and eventually that moment extends into something that is larger than anyone could have imagined. The Christmas story is a one-time event, but it is not an event that is merely confined to a manger in the little town of Bethlehem. The Christmas story is a moment that spans the centuries. ...and crosses the ocean. It is a moment that turned into a movement. Christmas begins with, away in the manger, no crib for a bed. But it extends with, away from the manger. It's a moment that turned into a movement. Now one of the things that's unique about Christmas... ...is that God never intended for it to be merely a moment. He always intended for it to be a movement... In eternity past, and even 700 years before the birth of Christ, the movement away from the manger was prophesied by Isaiah. Isaiah the great prophet, in chapter 9 and verse 6 of his prophecy, says, For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. His name his, He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. So God reveals to Isaiah that in the centuries to come, there will be a child that is born. And this child will not be just any ordinary baby. This child will be the one upon whom all governments will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. He goes on to say in verse 7, The dominion, in other words, his empire, will be vast and its prosperity, the riches of his glory, will never end. And he will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. Through the reign of Christ, there will be justice, there will be righteousness that doesn't just last for a term but it lasts forever. The end of the prophecy says these words that I'd never really really caught hold of until this week, and I've been meditating on them some. The Bible says, The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Have you ever thought about the zeal of God? The zeal of God will accomplish what God has set out to do. So in this movement, away from the manger, there are three big catalytic moments that define it. The first is the manger moment. That moment when God said, enough words, I will show you my love. I will come, I will dwell among you. The manger moment that we celebrate at Christmas. But the second moment is the morning moment. That moment, that morning When Christ rose from the dead and the mornings of the cross were revealed to be the joys of our salvation. It's what we celebrate at Easter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then there's a third moment and that was the movement moment. That was whenever Christ gathered his disciples together and unleashed them on the nations to share the message and to share the love of Christ. We see that movement moment in Scripture. In Matthew 28, there's a passage that we call the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, we call that passage the Great Commission. Let me encourage you to highlight that, make a mental note of that section. It's an important passage of Scripture. At Murphy Road, we look at it at least once, usually two, three times a year. Here's why I go back to that passage over and over again. I believe that as long as a church is concentrated on and doing the work of the Great Commission, that you generally have a healthy congregation. Things will go in a positive direction that honors God. Whenever a church gets away from the Great Commission, the church begins to lose its way. This is a key passage of Scripture. Jesus gathers His disciples together, and He says to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. In other words, I have died on the cross. I have risen from the dead. I have shown my authority over heaven and on earth. What I'm about to tell you, I'm not sending you out on your own to do. You're doing this through my power. Then he says to them, go. Literally in the Greek connotation, it's as you go, as you're living your life, as you move forward from here, go and make disciples what is our goal we ultimately want to go and make disciples now what is the scope of our disciple making he says go and make disciples of all nations our work doesn't just simply our work simply isn't contained to Murphy our scope is all nations he says baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit when we baptize them, we bring them in to local congregations. We bring them in and we form communities of faith throughout the world as new believers are baptized. And then he says, and teach them to observe everything I have commanded you. Now, there's a key nuance here. Jesus doesn't say, go teach them about me or just teach them the scriptures. He says, teach them to observe everything I have commanded you. So, yes, On one hand, we teach the commandments of Christ. We teach this is what the Bible says, but we also teach this is what it looks like to live this out. That's part of the reason why life groups are such a key part of our strategy, because as we teach one another what it means to live out our Christian faith, we do that in community so that through my relationship with Paul, he's teaching me, and hopefully I'm teaching him, And we are seeing what it looks like as we live life together. We are seeing what it looks like and we're inspiring one another to live out the Christian faith. And then Jesus says, don't forget this. I I am with you always to the end of the age. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. It may get difficult sometimes, but I'm here. You're doing this under my authority and I am with you always to the end of the age. The movement moment. Now, just before the ascension of Jesus back to heaven, he also gathered his disciples together. In Acts chapter 1, he tells them it's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. So often people are always trying to figure out, okay, when's God going to do this and when's God going to do that? And and Jesus says, look, there's some things that God has done in his own authority that that you're never going to figure out because they belong to God. But then he says, you're going to receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come on you and then he says you will be my witnesses now what is a witness Well officer Hermes will tell you the witness is somebody that gives testimony He testifies to what he or she has seen and so they are a testifier of their experiences you will be my witnesses. You will testify about what you know of Jesus and what he has done in your life. And where are we to be as witnesses? In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You say, well, I've got problems there. I've never been to Jerusalem. I've never been to Judea. I've never been to Samaria. So I guess I need to hit the altar and get right with God because I'm doing something wrong here. I think what Jesus was getting at is that we are to be our, his witnesses where we are in our Jerusalem, and then that's to expand into our Judea. Probably the greatest parallel would be into Texas, that it's supposed to continue moving outward, and then into Samaria. Samaria involved cross cultural ministry. The Samaritans had a a different understanding of God. They had different worship practice. Uh, They they were of different ethnicity. For a lot of Jesus' Hebrew disciples, there was a prejudicial mindset towards them. And Jesus said, no, you're to be my witnesses across those cultural boundaries. And don't stop there. You're to continue to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth and you connect that back to Matthew 28 and Jesus says as you do that know this I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus had a movement moment where he told his disciples to go and make disciples. Well in Acts chapter 2 Peter preaches and 3,000 people are added to the church. By the time you get to the end of Of Acts chapter 2 you see the Lord is adding to the church daily those who are being saved they are going out with gladness and sincerity of heart and sharing the message of Christ they are being his witnesses they're gaining the favor of the people because their witness for Christ was so impactful within the community within 70 years of the ascension of Christ the gospel began to spread into Europe Asia and Africa. The movement was expanding. During that time, it was illegal to be a Christian within the Roman Empire. And yet the movement of Christianity continued to expand. There is a misnomer that people think that if Christians are persecuted, that that's somehow going to extinguish the movement of Christianity. Historically, every time Christians have been oppressed, the movement of Christianity has grown. And the Roman Empire, with all their might, could not extinguish the light that had been lit by Christ. In 312 AD, the emperor of Rome, Constantine, becomes a convert to Christianity. He legalizes it within the empire, and then suddenly the church begins to expand again, and we have the era of the Catholic Church. Well, somewhere around 1439, a man by the name of Johannes Gutenberg invents the printing press. In 1450, he publishes the Gutenberg Bible. By the time we get to 1500, there was a major advancement within society. Suddenly, people could have books in their own homes. The commoner could learn to read, and the commoner could have the scriptures and learn things for themselves through books because of the printing press. Well, this helped facilitate in 1517 the Protestant Reformation when men like Martin Luther, Ulrich Zwingli over in Switzerland, Balthasar Hubmeier, William Tyndale, John Calvin, uh, these men led out the Protestant Reformation where they told folks, no, our righteousness is found through faith in Christ, not through our, our good deeds or through being a part of the church. Well, as that began to take root, people began seeking opportunity to expand the movement and have freedom of faith. And so in 1607, for the glory of God and the expansion of the gospel, go back and read the charter. In 1607, Jamestown was founded and the gospel crossed the oceans. In 1734, Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, John Wesley, they lead what is called the Great Awakening in the United States, or in colonial America, and 300,000 embrace the gospel here in the colonies. In 1792, William Carey begins what is known as the Modern Missionary Movement in Kettering, England. In 1824, Charles Finney leads the Second Great Awakening here in the United States, and 500,000 come to faith under Finney's message. In 1845, the Southern Baptist Convention establishes the Foreign Mission Board. Today it's called the International Mission Board. It began a mission movement where different mission agencies from different denominations began popping up all over North America and sending out missionaries. In 1865, Hudson Taylor starts the China Inland Mission, and then missionaries with names like Morrison, Moffat, Livingston, Moon, began to take the message of Christ all over the planet. In 1949, a young preacher by the name of Billy Graham began preaching and holding crusades throughout the United States. Stadiums would be filled and the masses would come. And and he began preaching the gospel all over the United States. His ministry impacted my own family because in 1952 in the Cotton Bowl in Dallas, Texas, my father came to Christ at at a Billy Graham Crusade and through his lifetime, 2.5 billion people heard the gospel through his preaching. In the year 2000, the internet became mainstream, and suddenly there is an unprecedented amount of connectivity awareness and mobility so that people uh, now have a platform every individual now can communicate the story of the gospel and reach out to literally hundreds of people without even leaving your living room by 2025 it is estimated that we will achieve global internet access so that every man, woman, boy, and girl, regardless of where they live in the world, will have access at some point to the Internet and the opportunity to hear the gospel in their own language wherever it is that they live. That is the movement away from the manger. Now today, you showed up. You are one person. We are one church. But we are part of a massive movement that God established before the foundations of the earth. We are part of a movement that Isaiah envisioned 700 years before the birth of Christ. We are part of the movement away from the manger. Lasting transformation can only take place when there is a radical transformation of the heart. If you want to change the world, you've got to go beyond politics. You've got to go beyond laws or behavior modification. If you want to truly transform the world, there has to be a transformation of the human heart. That's part of the beauty of the gospel because the gospel brings forgiveness to the brokenness. It brings grace to the exhausted, to the one that could never be good enough on their own. Suddenly they are alive because of the grace of God. The gospel is not merely about changing our behavior or even changing our thinking. The gospel is about changing our heart and it's when our heart is changed that's when people truly change. That's when marriages find healing. That's when children grow up in homes where mom and dad love one another and love them. That's when communities begin to come together when there's true heart Change that takes place. And one of the reasons why I want to give the totality of my life to the m- movement of the gospel is because the gospel is the one thing on earth that has the power to transform the human heart. Now, I know that there's a lot of negativity today in American Christianity. I, I get it, I understand it. Some folks are really worried about the diminishing influence of Christians within particularly our country, but I myself have never been more excited about the future of Christianity than I am right now. I cannot believe the opportunities that are in front of us. Now, as a church, for us to seize those opportunities, we have to start seeing ourselves as missionaries wherever we are. I sometimes use the term, one church in 500 locations, What I mean by that is the church is not a campus, it's not a building, the church is us. The people are the church. So wherever you go, you have the opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Maybe you have some restrictions at work or are in the classroom, wherever it might be. I, I understand that, but there's also opportunities, those little opportunities, to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ wherever you go. So whenever you go out and teach, you're not merely a school teacher, you are a missionary to that classroom. Whenever you are are raising those kids in that home on a daily basis, you, you are ministering to those kids, you are bringing them up in the way of the Lord. Whenever you go to that hospital and you serve as a doctor or a nurse, you are a missionary within that hospital. When you sit in those bleachers and you watch that baseball game and you talk to people about their lives, you have an opportunity to be a missionary to them because wherever you go as you go the movement of the manger expands as a church we have to always be looking for these opportunities to be a part of what god is doing not just here on campus but around the world and in our community and that's why we do some of the things that we do we have that slogan bigfoot church and people ask me what does that mean well what that means is that we want to measure ourselves by the size of our footprint And so we want our footprint of what we're doing in the kingdom to always be expanding. We're not a huge church. We would be classified as a medium-sized church, but we want to have a big footprint. We want to have a big impact on the world around us. And so because of that, we have a strong financial commitment to sending missionaries because of that. We have worship service and Bible study in senior communities. Because of that, we try to be an encouragement and a help to the other churches in our area. We try to help establish new church plants. Here on our own campus, we have a Spanish worship service. We have English for second English as a second language classes. We have an Asian Indian church plant that meets here on our own campus every single week. Why? Because we live in one of the most diverse areas in the entire metroplex. You may not be aware of this, but right here in Murphy, Texas, over 20% of the population is from Vietnam. Over 12% of the population is from India. We're estimating that about 40% of the The city of Murphy, Texas, is either Buddhist, Hindu, or Muslim. That makes right where we are one of the hardest mission fields in the entire Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex, or the United States for that matter, to really reach out to and minister to. But that's our calling. God put us here, and so we want to reach out to people at their point of need and be a part of the movement of God that he desires for us to be involved in. I'm 43 years old these days. I know that that shocks you because a lot of you thought I was 21, 22, but I'm 43 years old now, moisturizer, you know, in 50 years I'll be as old as Paul Reed, so in 50 years I'll be 93 years old, and so uh, I'm kind of at that halftime of life, if you will, and and so uh, I'm thinking a lot about what do I want over the next 50 years if the Lord gives me that that long. During the Thanksgiving season, I wrote down four Thanksgiving prayers that I want to share with you today and see if maybe they can't be an encouragement or an inspiration to you. The first was this, I pray that I will learn to love God more and more. I hope that when people look at my walk with Christ that it goes beyond merely, well, he knew a lot about the Bible or he he preached, but I pray that they might See within me a love for God, and i ask i 'm asking the Lord to help me to love Him more. Secondly, I pray that I will love my family, my friends, and that I will love the one anothers that God brings into my life. I want my children to know that I love their mom. I want my children to know that I love them. I want those that call me friend to be able to call on me and know that I'll be there for them. I love the aspect of life where people come into your life and leave, and you have these one-anothers that, that, you know, like in a church life, you'll have folks that are here for a season, and then they move on to different sections of the country. And and I've I've grown to like that because there's a certain ebb and flow of relationships, and those one-anothers that cross your path, I want to love them. I want to be an encouragement to them and to be a help to them. Thirdly, I I pray that in the next 50 years, I will see the movement of Christianity expand as much in the coming 50 years as it has in the last 2,000 years. I'm praying that God will give me the opportunity to see him do a work in the next 50 years that surpasses everything that's happened since the manger. Now, I wrote next to that prayer in capital letters, I must think global. I've got to think about what God is doing around the world and how God might do work around the world for me to truly embrace that and see that. And then fourth, I pray that I can be an encouragement to you to realize the opportunity that you have for your one and only life to make an eternal impact. So let me land this by talking to two groups of folks that are here today. The first group is those of you that are in the last half of your life. (laughs) Take how old you are right now, double it, you're gone, okay? You're in your last half of your life. If that's where you are, then you probably have spent a lot of your life, the first half, trying to be successful. Perhaps you pursued education, you pursued your career, and you tried to reach a point of financial security. You went through the natural things that couples do, like buying a house, getting a car that's dependable, trying to raise kids, and do all those different things that you had to do during that first half of your life. Now you sit at a point of halftime, looking forward, wondering, what do I not do now? Well, let me encourage you on this. You spent the first half of your life trying to be successful, Spend the last half of your life trying to be impactful. Whether God gives you 10 years or 50 years, spend the years that you have left trying to truly impact those around you and the world around you in a way that brings glory to God. Let your life have significance where you spend the time that you have in ways that truly speak to the soul of those around you. Be that person that brings wisdom to the mass of information and encouragement to the confused now the second group here are those of you that are in the first half of your life you're in your twenties you're in your thirties you're in the forties continually trying to convince yourself that you're still in the first half of your life in the forties i'm gonna live to be hundred and ten you know i'm young you know okay So you're in the first half of your life. Let me say this. There has never been a generation with more opportunity. Your generation has more opportunity to make a difference. And I cannot wait to see what God is going to do. Through the young people that attend this church, the children that run up and down these halls. I cannot wait to see what God is going to do in the coming years because just like the Gutenberg Press was a moment in history that allowed for the advancement of the gospel to cross the oceans and for the common folks to have the scriptures in their own language The advancements that we've made in connectivity and awareness and mobility provide for us unprecedented opportunity to share the gospel all around the world. And global internet access provides unprecedented opportunity for us to share the gospel with every man, woman, boy, and girl. And the reality that we face today, that there are people that live their entire lives without ever even hearing the message of Jesus Christ, that intolerable reality that people live and die never knowing that they can receive forgiveness for their sins and that God loves us so much that he extends to us grace that intolerable unbelievable reality that we live in today is diminishing because of the opportunity that God is bringing right now 1958 people groups that don't even have the language of scripture now in the years to come they can read the scriptures in their own language and we have opportunities to meet people all around the world at their point of need from your living room you can be a missionary all across this planet in the years to come can you see where the opportunity is what can can you grasp it how the movement can expand and how your life can be a part of it as God continues to take the message away from the manger and lands it in the heart of people with the realization That radical transformation happens when the human heart is radically transformed. That God never called us just to be better people, to behave a little bit better, but God called us to surrender the totality of ourselves to him so that he might do a work within us that we could never achieve on our own. And then as we surrender to him, he does a work through us that we could never imagine on our own. There's little boys and little girls growing up on the other side of the planet that can hear the gospel because of your life. There's people who can be touched because of your life. So however long you have, whether it's next week or whether you have a century in front of you, you live your life in a way that makes an impact. You live your life for the glory of God. And I can't wait to be a part of the movement that God is doing. It's going to be exciting. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we bow our heads? and we come to a time of commitment. Musicians are going to come, and they're going to lead us in song. And during this time, you you can pray, you can sing, you can pray for somebody else. You might even uh, want to write down some thoughts that you've had so that you can remember them later. Just follow the Holy Spirit. I'm here at the front. If there's anything I may pray with you about, it's always my joy to do so. Heavenly Father, I thank you that Christmas is not just a moment in time that occurred in a little dusty town known as Bethlehem, but Christmas is a movement that transcends time and touches eternity. And I thank you, Father, that what you did there, what you did at Calvary, what you have done uh, through your church and through your people is truly the the answer to humankind's greatest need. And I pray, Lord, that we might live our lives with significance. I pray uh, for those that are seasoned in life. That you will help them not to be discouraged, but may they be encouraged and may they see the opportunities that they have to truly make a difference. And I pray for those that are young in life that that you will show them that their life has incredible opportunity and can have a deep-reaching purpose as they live their life in love with you. And help me and help others, Father, to be encouragers, to be motivators as we be a part of this movement called the church. In Jesus' name, amen.